Good morning. Welcome to With God at Dawn. There are limits to God's forbearance. Psalms 119, 126 tells us, It's time for thee, Lord, to work, for they've made void thy law. During a vision of the night, I stood on an eminence, from which I could see houses shaken like a reed in the wind. Buildings, great and small, are falling to the ground. Pleasure resorts, theaters, hotels, and the homes of the wealthy were shaken and shattered. Many lives were blotted out of existence, and the air was filled with the shrieks of the injured and the terrified. The destroying angels of God were at work, one touch, and buildings so thoroughly constructed that men regarded them as secure against every danger, quickly became heaps of rubbish. There was no assurance of safety in any place. The awfulness of the scene that passed before me I cannot find words to describe. It seemed that the forbearance of God was exhausted and that the judgment day had come. The angel that stood at my side then instructed me that but few have any conception of the wickedness existing in our world today, and especially the wickedness in the large cities. He declared that the Lord has appointed a time when he will visit transgressors in wrath for persistent disregard of his law. God's supreme rulership and the sacredness of his law must be revealed to those who persistently refused to render obedience to the King of Kings. Those who choose to remain disloyal must be visited in mercy with judgments, in order that, if possible, they may be aroused to a realization of the sinfulness of their course. While the divine ruler bears long with perversity, he is not deceived and will not always keep silence. His supremacy, his authority as ruler of the universe, must finally be acknowledged and the just claims of his law vindicated. There are limits even to the forbearance of God, and many are exceeding these boundaries. They have overrun the limits of grace, and therefore God must interfere and vindicate his own honor. When the Lord comes forth as an avenger, he will also come as a protector of all those who have preserved the faith in its purity and kept themselves unspotted from the world. Our verse today comes from Psalms 119. David has made a section of 119 for each letter of the Hebrew alphabet, and our verse 126 is in a section about the letter Ayin, which is sometimes, I know I'm not pronouncing that properly, it's more of a guttural sound, Ayin which is sometimes described as having two eyes that cannot, I'm sorry, two eyes that connect to a common optic nerve that leads to the brain. The two eyes represent choice or the action of the will, i.e. The, the heart. We can choose to use the good eye or the evil eye to perceive things. And ayin, like aleph, is a silent letter. It is said, it sees but does not speak, therefore represents the attitude of humility 
When the eye is evil, it becomes slave to the purposes of sin and the evil impulse. As Rashi said, the heart and the eye are the spies of the body. They lead a person to transgress. The eye sees, the heart covets, and the body transgresses. So in this section of Psalms, David describes himself as being the good eye and his enemies as the bad eye, this is my thoughts, that has transgressed God's law and says it is time for God to work, for they have made void thy law. According to the title of our reading, God's forbearance has an end. Is it simply an arbitrary decision to end everything? Didn't we recently study about God's wrath being under his own restraint? If it were simply an arbitrary decision, then when everything was over, would he be able to be transparent and would we all worship him freely? I would say not. If that were true, then all the suffering to honor our freedom of choice would have been wasted effort because if not completed the same way that it started, his plan was was wasted. Therefore, logic tells us God honors his own moral code to the end. The decision to not bear with sin anymore is not arbitrary. Well, then how is it decided? I'd like to suggest that we are the deciding factors. And um, when there is not one more person willing to examine God's offer of salvation and receive it according to his conditions, then there's no reason to bear with sin and suffering a moment longer. For it would not save any more people. But again, you will need to think it out on your your own. And um, All of us have a personal relationship with God based on experimental knowledge. Our daily practicing of reading his promises and his word and putting him into practice in our life and seeing if God comes through with what he says he will do. That's our experimental knowledge. We're each somewhere along this path of the just that shineth more and more into the perfect day, as expressed by Solomon in Proverbs chapter 4, verse 18. The just shall live by faith, as expressed in Habakkuk 2, verse 4. Behold, his soul, which is lifted up, is not upright in him, but the just shall live by his faith. Repeated by Paul in Romans 1, verse 17. For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. Paul again in Galatians 3, verse 11 says, But that no man is justified by the law in the sight of God, it is evident for the just shall live by his faith. And then in Hebrews 10, verse 30, Paul tells us, Now the just shall live by faith, but if any man draw back, my soul shall have no pleasure in him. A couple of things stand out there. You know, Luther caught this, and uh, the great Protestant Reformation began. Remember, he was coming up the stairs on his knees, and uh, this verse came to his mind, the just shall live by his faith. And he leaped up and stopped doing this pointless work. We don't live righteous lives of faith unless we are justified. We are not justified by the law, but by the blood of Christ. The robe I'm sorry, the role of the law is not to justify, but to serve as a mirror 
to help us as we compare ourselves to it, as we walk by faith in Christ's righteousness. It's Christ's righteousness, not our righteousness, but he gives it to us freely. What does it mean to be justified? Well, when you justify your margins, all of the scraggly lines are brought in line with the ruler. When you justify your bank ledger, it comes into agreement with the bank. And when we are justified, we are brought into agreement with the law. Because Jesus' blood paid our debt and we stand cleared from past sin. And Jesus gives us victory by his righteousness, which he freely gives to us. And when we walk with him by faith, thus we have righteousness by faith in Christ. But this is a different thing than those who struggle to keep the law in order to be righteous. This is a walk by faith in Christ's righteousness because we've been justified by his blood. We are not saved by the law, but no one who does not keep the law will be saved. It may seem like a conundrum, but when you re-listen to the verses that I have shared with you, you will understand it more clearly. We could add that line to all the verses I read, and it seems to make it easy to understand of the righteousness by faith in Christ. Let me do a few for you. All right, let's see, where were we? Um, Habakkuk 2.4 Behold, his soul which is lifted up is not upright in him, but the just shall live by his faith in the righteousness of Christ. Does that make sense? The just shall live by his faith. And we add the righteousness of Christ. The just shall live by his faith in the righteousness of Christ. Repeated by Paul in Romans 117. Let's do that again. Therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the just shall live by faith in the righteousness of Christ. And then Galatians 311. But that no man is justified by the law in the sight of God, it is evident, for the just shall live by his faith in the righteousness of Christ. And Hebrews 10.30, Paul telling us, Now the just shall live by faith, but if any man draw back, my soul shall have no pleasure in him. So we could say, Now the just shall live by his faith in the righteousness of Christ, but if any man draw back from this walk of faith in Christ's righteousness, my soul shall have no pleasure in him. Anyway, moving along here. Um, because it is the righteousness of Christ's life that makes him an accepted sacrifice, an acceptable sacrifice that he gives to us freely when we are justified by his blood. You see, Christ lived a righteous life that he could make a righteous sacrifice. He would not have been accepted as a sacrifice if he had one flaw in him. It was his righteousness that made him an acceptable sacrifice. And it's his righteousness that he earned, the tapestry of his life that he wove, that he gives to us in his robe of righteousness. Our faith in his ability to save us entirely, it's not our righteousness, for we have none. But Christ freely will give to you when you come to him, in repentance and confession, and turn from your sin, and trust in him, and begin the walk of faith on the path that shineth more and more unto the perfect day. 
He will clothe you with his robe of righteousness. You will walk with him by experimental faith. And his righteousness will be imparted to you day by day as your character is changed into his image. Praise the Lord. Let's have prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for those who have joined me here this morning. And I pray that their day will be a walk of faith in you. And that they will learn by experience your faithfulness in bringing us through. Thank you, Jesus. In your name I pray. Amen. Have a wonderful day, my friend. And I will see you here again tomorrow morning.